everyone. Welcome to my show, Career Leadership Podcast, a podcast to spotlight purpose-driven Asian leaders making an impact. This is your host, Priyanka Komla, joining you on our 104th episode of Career Leadership Podcast. Thank you to each one of you for your amazing support. And as a quick reminder, do follow me, Priyanka Komla, and a Career Leadership Podcast page on LinkedIn to receive your LinkedIn Live notifications. On YouTube, if you're watching this there, give us a like and a subscribe. For all our podcast lovers, Give us a follow and a review and a rating. So this helps us understand how this podcast is helping you become a better version of yourself. And I have an amazing guest who is up late night for us from Malaysia. And that's Dr. AJ Minai. And I'm going to say, hello, Dr. AJ. How are you doing? Hello. So AJ is joining us from Kuala Lumpur. And I'm so glad he's up late at night to taste some Tasty curry on our podcast. I've promised them this is going to be an amazing show and worth staying up late. Are you excited for it, AJ? I am totally psyched, and nobody can say no to good curry. So definitely. I'm Thank here. you. And we're going to live up to those expectations. So let me give you an introduction about who Dr. AJ Minai is. You know, he's someone whose life's mantra is impact over influence. And he's doing this through his venture, Vision 77, which deals with a plethora of domains, be it with branding, design, blockchain, education, healthcare, training, you name it, you hear it. Dr. AJ Minai is a 2X TEDx speaker. He's a brand storyteller. Well, he has amazing stories that we're gonna unveil throughout the show. And he's an award-winning entrepreneur who's spoken at over 230 events globally. I hope this is your 231st event, AJ. And he was awarded Best LinkedIn Influencer by Malaysia's Social Media Week. So such amazing achievements under his belt. But in this show, I'm gonna unveil a different dimension of AJ. I mean, I, I know he's successful, but what it is to be him and some of the life challenges that he successfully navigated, which will serve as an inspiration to our Asian diaspora. AJ, again, welcome to the show. And we're super excited to learn more from the storyteller himself. Thank you very much. It's uh, jokes aside. Uh, I'm really, really happy to be here and honored. And uh, thank you for having me on the show. And uh, I look forward to unveiling this other dimension that you referred to that I wasn't aware of until this very moment. Hey. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> you know, very true. Most of the times, AJ, we have a perception about ourselves, but people around you who look at you, who get uh, you know inspired by some of the work that you do, they see a different dimension, which is what I want to unveil as part of my, uh, you know, being a guest on my show. So let's start with this. You know, you're someone who believes in the fact that you will have to embrace your inner fear and that's a philosophy that you've believed in for a very good portion of your life. And I know that you've been an underdog and an average student, which is what is the, the premise of this podcast, which I want to unveil from an underdog to one of the top voices of Malaysia. Tell us about that philosophy of embracing inner fear. Wow, that's a loaded question. That's a really loaded question. I'm going to try to justice to giving it an answer in a, in a succinct manner. Um, now, I think fundamentally there are two dimensions to the answer that I'm gonna give you. One is from a standpoint of education, right? And the other is a standpoint of emotional intelligence. And they're both connected very deeply with one another, but they, they definitely have different purviews, right? Now, let's start off with the educational aspect. 
right now, fundamentally, at least when I was growing up till this point right now, education hasn't changed that much, which is worrying, right? If I can tell you right now at almost 35 of age, that I can tell you right now that the experience in school today is pretty much maybe 10, 20, 30%. Maybe there are better gadgets, maybe there's a bit better tech, you know, but generally the overall education, educational journey that a child today is having isn't so different from the one that I had in high school or middle school. Isn't it kind of worrying, Priyanka? It's it's worrying because we live in a world where there's been massive disruption, right? Every industry we know, almost every industry that we know of right now has been disrupted. You know, the real estate industry with things like Airbnb, Airbnb, uh, you know, taxis and private transportation with things like Uber and Grab. Grab in Southeast Asia is a lot bigger. They just, they, you know, a couple of years ago, they bought over Uber's business here in this part of the world. Um, you know, and the list goes on. You know, there's just so much been this so much of a shakeup in every industry. But the fact that education hasn't changed that much, it definitely worries you. And that's fundamentally how that story began for me. Because as a child, um, you 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 were being diplomatic. You called me an average student. I was a below average student. Um, I was one of the worst academic students you would ever encounter. I was if if you were a teacher in my school, I'd be your nightmare. Right. I, I got in trouble. I was always getting in, you know, into problems with other kids because they were picking on me. And I, I was hopeless at mats, 12 out of 100 type of guy, you know, you name it. And I had it on the list of loser. And I think emotional intelligence, the second aspect that I mentioned earlier, connects really strongly with the educational suppression that children go through today. Kids aren't able to understand the power of individualism at an early age in their life, right? Schools don't provide the right breeding ground or enough conducive environment for kids to understand at an early age that IQ isn't the only form of intelligence, right? And because I was in that situation, and I'm not ashamed to accept it, but I'm ADHD, right? And as a child that was a academically challenged, ADHD, physically had his growth spurt and his voice cracking at a very late age, and generally a stammering, young, snotty little kid who was easy targets for bullies, all of that compounded and made my ages between nine to 16 very challenging. And I'm, 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 I'm not going to the details for the sake of the audience, but I'm talking about savage, 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 type of level of bullying, right? And that entire experience taught me one thing. Now that I look back, it taught me one thing that A, education as we know it today, particularly K-12, K-12 education from kindy all the way up to 12, and then your middle school and all the way up to tertiary, touching tertiary education. That particular formative part of an education is broken. I'm just going to say that again. It's broken. In many ways, it's broken. It just, it doesn't allow a child to truly identify parts of themselves or areas or dimensions of themselves earlier on in life fast enough because schools aren't built to welcome all sorts of animals. 
they're built for a few select type of animals. And those animals who happen to be there in that, in that instance, they do very well. Academically, straight A students, you know, the guys who clamor and end up in Harvard and Yale, you know, but the rest of the average folk that are deemed average, they're not able to uncover anything more than just a series of failed tests and mediocre grades during this time. And that has a tremendous impact on their self-esteem, their creativity, their ability to communicate. And I was, in that respect, lucky. I was in exile and I was someone that nobody wanted to be friends with. And I think the universe works in really mysterious ways, Priyanka. When you don't have something or when the universe doesn't give you something, it gives you something else in return. It's really interesting because what I got in return was emotional intelligence. And I got it much faster than other kids. It almost became as if that experience of being lonely and nobody wanting to have lunch with me. And I wasn't one of the cool kids who was invited to parties. And I used to have lunch underneath the bleachers in my school where nobody could see me. And all these little, little things that happened where I felt like I was alone were actually training grounds for me to observe other people. I mean, what do you do when you're not popular in school? You spend time alone and what happens? You're alone. And what happens when you're alone? You get to observe more. You learn the right. power of observe observation over just looking when you're right. a popular kid in school, you know, mm -hmm. you just you look around and you don't really take anything in. But if you're alone, right. it's different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the that beautiful was the part about, right. The beautiful part about your experience, AJ is, you know, you were labeled based on a success metric based on an academic success metric. And that's something that didn't align with who you were, you know, and your personality, but I love the way how you've, funnel that energy and created more emotional intelligence in you to be this high achiever who you are today and shifting the paradigm with Vision 77, with your entrepreneurial ventures and helping others succeed. I'm very curious to know what was going at the back of your mind when you were labeled as a below average student, somebody who was not the cool kid in school. How did you feel about it? When I was a kid, it was horrible, to be honest with you. You know, um, I mean, it was it was so bad, Priyanka, that, you know, I I had my parents friends, you know, treat me like, you know, I was never going to end up doing anything. I remember the snide remarks we used to get at, you know, community parties. And as a as a semi Asian kid um, with the parentage that I have, you know, I don't mean to be I don't mean to stereotype. And I, I'm, I'm for I'm one who doesn't I, I hate stereotypes. Right. But I got to tell you, one of the most, one of the probably one of the most judgmental communities that we we have in the world is our Asian communities, particularly subcontinental and Oriental communities. They're, you know, from a parentage point of view, the obsession of straight A's and Ivy Leagues, Harvards, and 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 your whatnots and your lawyer, engineer, doctor syndromes, and everything that comes along with that culture. I think I'm really really glad that kids today have parents that are more like us because I certainly, I mean, I, you know, with my daughter, I certainly see the things that I wouldn't do, right. I would not do that. I wouldn't put the same pressure that I felt at that point. Uh, not just, you know, my parents were pretty cool. Actually, my parents were actually the least of the problems. It was really the community around me, right. My teachers, 
my, 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 my parents' friends, my, my friends who were going to another school, but they knew how bad I was at studies. So they, you know, they call you, they call themselves friends, but actually they're just judging you all the time. They're making fun of you behind your back. What a loser, you know, things like that. Right. And it was horrible. It would, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the short answer, Priyanka. It was horrible. Right. You bring up a very valid point, AJ, because most of the times we have grown up with very stereotyped behavior saying, hey, if you're an Asian, if you're a woman, woman of color, you have to be in a certain way. You have to follow societal milestones. But I'm glad that you've broken those myths and you're continuing to spearhead more progressive thoughts, especially with your daughter. I think that's that's how our generation is shaping up to be more progressive than our previous generation. So thanks for really sharing that lovely experience with us in terms of how you've gone through some emotionally challenging times, but you've risen like a phoenix to be where you are today. Well, I wouldn't say like a phoenix, but maybe like an injured hawk. But yeah. <laughs> I know. So what are three tips that you would share to be an emotionally strong entrepreneur? Um, number one, don't, don't try to manage people. Try to manage the purpose, right? I see a lot of leaders today talking about how they have a lot of trouble managing people. Um, but I think fundamentally they're looking at it the wrong way. If you are able to manage a purpose within the organization and you hire around that purpose, as opposed to hiring people on the basis of money or other benefits or other narratives, I think it really falls into place. So number one, as an emotionally intelligent leader, you should be able to identify the purpose and fight for something much bigger than yourself that goes beyond your base desires of monetary wealth or you know customary success or your ego, et cetera, et cetera. That's number one. Number two, I think serving others is something that you need to instill in yourself as a servant leader. Um, servant leadership is something that a lot of people like to talk about, but unfortunately there, a lot of those people are living in glass houses and they like casting stones, but they themselves don't quite understand the real true meaning of servant leadership. I've seen, I've seen particularly with a lot of my own clientele because I, you know, I, I coach and I train and I consult and I advise a variety of different types of clients, um, from fortune 500 companies all the way down to one man solopreneurs. And I can tell you right now from my experience that one of the most, you know, one of the, the biggest marketing buzzwords is servant leadership amongst a lot of the leaders today. But it is unfortunately just that. It's a buzzword and they haven't really grasped their mind around what it truly means. Servant leadership in a nutshell is basically you understanding that whether it's convenient or not, you are there to serve your people, your customers, your partners. And that actually brings about a certain humility because you aren't, see, you aren't seeing them from the top. You're not sitting on top of a tower looking down at your people. You are, you are carrying them on a, a plate or a pedestal and you are balancing them with your own strength, both emotionally and physically, and you are sustaining them. So your job is to sustain them, to, 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 to serve them. And it's so different mentally in the minds of a traditional Wall Street CEO when he's looking down from an ivory tower versus someone who understands the value of servant leadership in its truest form, 
and is carrying the organization, like in the ancient Greek mythology of Atlas, where he was carrying the world on his back, right? So servant leadership has to come from humility. That's number two. And number three, which is my personal favorite, is understand that every single aspect of your life was not a journey. It was a story. And if you see anything happening in someone else's life, including your employees, your partners, your colleagues, your, your wife, your husband, or anything in your life, understand and recognize that being able to repeat those stories in front of others so that it shares value and impact is key for two reasons. One, it's key because it allows that person, particularly from an employee-employer perspective, if you see one of your employees doing something really, really well, and there's a story behind it, then there always will be, trust me, there'll always be a story around someone doing something for the organization. If you go out of your way to publicize those stories, to publicize them within the organization at the very least, you're doing two things that are key. One, you're giving that employee a sense of self. You're giving that employee a sense of affirmation that will go a long way for him to build a connection with your organization beyond a paycheck, right? And number two, which is really important, is that when other employees see you as a leader publicizing that story, it will give them an idea about what the benchmark of success is within the organization without your traditional KPI narrative. I mean, nobody likes people breathing down their neck and micromanaging them with KPIs. You know, like, oh, you need to do this, you need to do this every month, you need to do this, this, this. Wouldn't you rather hear a story of success from someone else? And that covers all the general indicators of success. And if you heard that, you would understand very quickly in an engaged manner, well, John did that. If John does this and he gets a pat on the back, maybe I should do that too. And it's so much more human. It's so much more relatable. So I guess those are my three tips as a storyteller. You know, those are great examples. And I love the, the empowerment aspect where you look beyond the key performance indicators. And that goes back and ties very well with your life experiences, right? The academic success is not a true metric of who AJ is. It's more about what can you offer as a person? What's the impact that you can provide to the people around you? And I see that reflecting in your professional journey as well. So thanks for rem reminding us that I think especially with this COVID pandemic, people have realized that you can't really control people even bringing them to office physically, right? You trust them to do yeah. their work and then you let them bloom and serve your organization. Amen. So let's talk about Vision 77. I think this was a perfect segue to talk about your entrepreneurial venture. What's the significance of the number 77? Uh, this also goes back to a story. Um, we would love to hear that. Several years ago, um, me and uh, a brother from another mother, his name is Ryan, and uh, I've known him for the good part of a decade now. Both of us are the ones that started Vision 77. And uh, several years ago, we were sitting in a restaurant. This was before Vision 77, obviously. And uh, we, we were sitting down and we had made a couple of bad decisions in life. And uh, we were definitely financially under a lot of strain. And we talked about you know, our purpose. We talked about the struggle that we were both having 
Um, he was having it in a different way at a different job. I was having it in a different way in a different job. And uh, we both come from the corporate world, having worked with some very, you know, amazing companies and brands. But at the same time, you know, we were not at a very high point at that point in our lives, financially, as well as I think even from a, from a self-esteem point of view, we weren't doing the best in life. And, uh, you know, I remember having this conversation with Ryan in a, in a fairly, what they call in Australia, like a hole in the wall type of restaurant. It was a very mediocre kind of like a roadside restaurant. We're just sitting down and having a chat like two guys. And, you know, we, we said, we talked about this, that, you know, we've got all the raw ingredients. I actually highlighted that to Ryan. I was like, listen, you know, we, we're, we're not dumb. You know, we have some business sense. Uh, we did fairly well at our jobs. You know, we're, you know, we're, we've got all the raw ingredients. We just need that one chance. We need that, that one opportunity to sort of spark off the ember. Like just, you know, we, we just need that one chance. And somewhere along the line, we came up with this vision in that conversation. We were like, you know, it was still, I remember it, it was still raining, it was drizzling outside and we were sitting and we we're having some tea and we're just talking. And we came up with this vision that we said, you know, we're gonna, by this time next year, we're both gonna have a million, a million dollars in each of our accounts. And it doesn't matter what we have to do but we're going to get it done. Obviously, when I said it doesn't matter what we have to do, I didn't mean anything illegal. <laughs> I mean, we, had, we were going to get it done and we were going to get it done no matter what, right? Within legal bounds. And, you know, we made that happen after a year and one month. We were one month delayed, but after a year, one month, we made it happen. But the monetary goal isn't really what's the, it's not the punchline of the story. The punchline of the story is that we, we came to realize that our job is to ensure that we build an organization and a platform and a venture a venturing uh, ecosystem that gives Ryan's and AJ's underdogs like us the opportunity that traditional VCs and traditional PE firms wouldn't. And it goes beyond race, color, religion. It doesn't matter. We don't care. We don't care where you're from, what you do, what your track record was. We don't care about that. And we're not going to gauge you on the same metrics that the traditional, you know, the traditional venturing entrepreneurship type of narrative has sort of taken ploy in the last, you know, I'd say in the last 30 years. And it's not that I have anything against VCs. It's just that I have a lot against them. <laughs> you know, it's just that, you know, they, they, there's, a, there's a certain mentality I would say almost akin to how Ivy Leagues have a certain mentality of blue blood. There's a certain mentality that's come along and seeped into VC, right? And that venture capitalist mentality of having a top-down look at organizations. And if I can be really crude and I'm probably unpolished about this, sucking, sucking creativity and ventures dry in many occasions with ridiculous requirements, terms and conditions, expectations, equity taken. Um, you see it all the time. And, and you know what? The reality is nine out of 10 startups fail, not just because of the startup themselves, but because of the partners that invested in their startups. Because you know, a lot of that, a lot of that play comes in with investors that just simply didn't know how to manage their investments 
in the first place, right? In those organizations. And there's a very fine balance. So Ryan and myself sat down years ago and we talked about this vision that we would be that one chance. We don't have that chance, but we're going to build something that's going to give us the money. Of course, we need the profitability, but it's also going to give us the purpose. Hence, in Vision 77, we call it 77 profitable purposes, a profitable purpose, right? There's absolutely nothing wrong with having a purpose in life that's profitable. A lot of people cringe on it. I've seen a lot of particularly Asian, I see Asian communities, they cringe on anything that's altruistic should ideally be free, shouldn't be charged for. But you know what? We threw that out of the window a long time ago. You know, we we're like, you know, whatever. We're going to do what, what's right for us because we need to live. We need to eat. We need to pay the bills. We're going to build a good life for ourselves, but we're going to make sure that every time we take a step forward, it's for the right reasons. And we're doing something with a purpose. And now 77, to answer your question, we, there's an old Persian legend, and this is how the number 77. So I just gave you the story about how the vision came about. We wanted to create an ecosystem that would do right and give that one chance to underdogs, right? That's where vision, the word vision came from, right? And then the- And the, I should the, remind the, my entrepreneur friends who, was, who are watching this, um, you need to note this down in terms of what venture capitalists could look like because AJ is clearly, you know, belongs to a different clan of venture capitalists. Yeah, we, 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 in fact, we don't, in fact, we don't even call ourselves venture capitalists. We're actually more early stage business angels, right? If, if we, if you want to give it a name according to uh, traditional tech or non-tech venturing terms, we're actually more so an early stage business angel ecosystem, right? Uh, that's what really we are. And if you tell that to anybody in that world, they'll immediately understand, oh, okay, I know what they are, right? Um, but 77 came from an old Persian legend. So my partner, Ryan, who I told you about earlier, he is of Persian descent, right? And uh, there's this old legend uh, at the time of Emperor Xerxes, uh, there was apparently a royal guard unit that was called the Immortals, now, very interesting story. The, by the way, the Immortals were picturized in the Hollywood flick by, I think it was Zack Snyder, 300, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the Immortals were a royal guard that were covered with masks and garbs. And the enemies of the Immortals would shudder in fear because they believed that they were truly uh, immortal. They couldn't be killed. And here's the reality and the science behind it. What actually used to happen was that since they were all wearing the same mask and the same garb, they would die, but there was always one to replace the one that died immediately, right? So as an illusion across the land in a world where there was no social media and uh, no Mythbusters, obviously enemies used to often see it as, wow, no matter what happens, no matter how many of them we kill, there's always 77 of them. They must be immortal. They're not, they're not humans. They're gods. They're something else. And so we just, you know, in some, in some, in some books, it's 99. In some books, it's 77. So we had to choose between the two of them. And we said 99 ventures around the world is going to be ridiculous because that's crazy. Let's go with something a bit more reasonable. So we picked 77. And the icing of the cake is we're just on 16 right now. We've got a long way to go. We're nowhere near 77. So I, I foresee that there's going to be a long 
fun, but challenging journey ahead for us to get to Vision 77 in its truest form. You know, I love the fact it's a long journey, but it's off to a good start with the kind of ventures that you're looking to invest, especially looking at the purpose and the impact that you can create across the world. Now, tell me this, AJ, what's one thing that you look for? Because I know you, you're not a traditional venture capitalist. You're looking at impact and purpose. What is the one thing that you look for when you're investing, especially in an entrepreneur? I, I look for the, for the person. Um, I know this is really cliche. I know this is cliche because we've heard it in, in so many different documentaries and, you know, infomercials and, and, you know, the gurus, excuse me, the gurus talk about it all the time. But the reality is investors don't invest in, in business models. They invest in people. Um, you know, from Jack Ma's story in Alibaba, when the Japanese guy from SoftBank invested in him, to Richard Branson, to, to all the people that we look up to and, and we admire, you know, each of them had that one thing in common. They had one or two people in their earlier part of their lives that believed in them, that, that truly believed in them. And that's what we look for at Vision 77. You know, sometimes, you know, some amazing proposals with some great ideas come across our tables and we say no. You know, one of us, both, you know, either me or Ryan, we just say no to those ideas because we realize that you can have a great idea, but if you don't have the right guy or girl for the job, right? If you don't have that passion, you don't have that fire, something that's something little, little, that little, little something extra that you really can't put your finger on, you know, and you're just looking at the numbers and you think the numbers are going to tell you everything about the future of this idea. Uh, we challenge that. You know, I'm sure a lot of people watching this and people who will watch this in the future who are more traditional VCs and PEs, they definitely would have a lot of, you know, they, they have a big argument, a bone to pick with me. Uh, they, they'd say that's absolute crap, AJ. You know, if you look at the financials of any business, you can tell straight off the bat whether it's good to invest in or not. But I don't think entrepreneurs win because of logic. I think they win because of passion. And a lot of people out there who are true blue investors would just scoff and sarcastically think, yeah, sure, you know, in a, in a fairy tale, sure. But, you know, I beg to differ. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen people succeed with some of the, the most far-fetched ideas, but they've succeeded, right? I grew up with a kid who used to pick up trash at the park that we used to play at, and he's sitting in Silicon Valley running a biodiesel set up and venture that got invested with over $30 million in the last eight years. Eight years ago, he started up and he's gotten over $30 million of funding. And this is the kid that people used to make fun of. While we used to play soccer, he had a long stick and he was picking trash cans off and putting it in a bag. It was only, you know, we used to call him a weirdo, you know? Even I did, the bullied kid would think he was weird. And now look who's laughing. You know, he took that, he turned that into a dream and he built a full-on venture in the Silicon Valley around biodiesel bio and biofuels, and he's running it now, and he's doing phenomenally well. Right? That's so an amazing, right? That's an amazing example to hear. Where, you know, we look at our maybe sometimes it's our unique strengths, right? It could be a weirdo behavior for the others, but you know, somewhere our passions coincide with what we want to do with our life, and that's just a great example of your friend as well. And I really love the fact, AJ, where you're looking, you know, beyond the the regular traditional metrics, you're looking at people. And I think that's the philosophy that's going to bring in more success to the rest of the 61 ventures that are waiting to be funded for you in the near future as well. I hope so too, fingers crossed. I know. Now, 
you know something that i'm really curious to know have your asian roots helped you in this journey to to be a venture capitalist to, to be a business angel in a in a different light how do you how do you look at your roots wow um you know i keep track of all the different type of questions i'm asked and you are officially the first person who has ever asked me and framed it that way so thank you really thank the you. first person ever and i've been on a lot of events as you know 230 <laughs> yeah it's honest and and that's not by the way those are actually those are you know 99% of those are my physical events they don't mm -hmm. take into account my virtual ones if you go into those we're possibly touching at least you know a thousand or a thousand more wow um, i feel so, so honored to be on top you, of your list you've actually asked me a question that i genuinely from memory cannot remember anyone ever asking me so kudos thank you um you know it's a it's a very it's a very tricky question priyanka and let me tell you why because anything i say can be taken in a very you know it can be taken the wrong way because any 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 assertion that i'm going to make right now is going to be based on my own personal life but being you know being part of the asian community i have to be very careful because anybody who's a non asian listening to this may assume that you know i'm basing it off my dna you know oh this happened because of my dna i'm you know i'm 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 partially eating that's why i'm like this but you know that would be that would be stereotypical of me and i wouldn't i wouldn't want to highlight that but i would say this i definitely will say this that i think being a mixed kid like living you know you know just just being of mixed parentage and you know in the beginning of your life you're going to feel really outcasted right i mean i think i think so at least and my experience in malaysia growing up was that you know i i stuck out like an arab in the polo right i mean you'd notice me right i mean in a bunch of you know you'd have the white kids and you'd have the african kids and then you'd have you know you'd have the indian kids and you'd have the the pakistani kids and then you'd have the you know the japanese kids and you could always see you could actually see you could see the 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 the, the bifurcations if you if you may you could see the the clicks you know um but then you'd have the eurasians and the mixed kids that kind of just looked funny like nobody could tell where you're from and you're like oh okay uh what are you like you know so the locals would think you're not them the foreigners would think you're not them and you're kind of just in the middle of something and that actually makes for a lot of cruelty i mean i always say this i mean i'm the biggest proponent of kids um you know i don't know if you've noticed on my linkedin profile i conduct emotional intelligence programs for kids as young as 4 5 years old as well i don't just coach you know corporates but i do kids as well and i can tell you right now i'm a huge proponent of kids but i can also tell you i'm a realist and i can tell you that kids are some of the most cruelest people on the planet because they don't have filters when they're young they don't have filters so they say things without any repercussions of knowing what they've said they they have absolutely no semblance of understanding that this was politically completely incorrect what was said to someone else and when you're in that position on my side mixed stammering small scrawny you know all of the stuff all of the above that i mentioned before that's when it becomes it 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 becomes a nightmare for you because you feel ostracized 
and marginalized in every which way. But here's the beauty. The beauty is, is that because of that, those roots, there is a almost like a leapfrog effect when you finally realize who you are. It, mm -hmm. it, it becomes all the more empowering when you lose the fear of standing out, right? Because when you're a kid, you spend a lot of time, a lot of time fitting in. Most kids want to fit in, mm -hmm. but there comes a point in your life where you finally man or woman up and you go, so what? You know, you have that so what moment. You accept who you are in complete in entirety, right? You realize that your weaknesses and your kindness and everything that people thought was a weakness is in fact your greatest strength. The fact that you are different is your greatest strength. The fact that you are weird is your greatest strength. And when that happens and there's that epiphany and then the neuroplasticity in your mind starts building neural pathways that connect those dots, it is almost like a Clark Kent to Superman transformation. It, 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 it happens. I've seen it happen in, you know, to myself. I've seen it happen to others time and time again. They go through the series of events in close succession at one point in their life. Some people have it when they're 21, if they're lucky. Some people have it when they're 18, if they're luckier. Some people have it 27. I had it when I was like 26, 27, right? And that's when you kind of just, it's just, you know, you've seen that movie, Bradley Cooper, when he takes, he pops that pill, Limitless, and mm -hmm. his mind just clears up. It's kind of like that without pills. Like you, you, you see things clearly. You're like, it, it's like, you're, you know, you're, you're, your whole world in your mind stops and you just, it just makes sense. Every single ounce of pain that you felt, everything that went wrong, all of it, it just tracks back in your mind and it just comes to this epiphany that if none of that happened, not just the good, but the bad as well, if it didn't happen, I wouldn't be AJ today. And it, it, it had to happen. It had to happen for me to realize that this is me. This is me and all my power and all my strength. You know what I mean? And so those roots, whether Asian or not, if, if seen from this perspective, will empower you, will unleash you. That's no, what definitely. I believe. You know, that's a great way in which you um, summarize your life in a nutshell. You know, the, when I opened up, you know, the talk show with you, the first question I asked was, how do you embrace your inner fear? And here I have the answer. It's, you know, it's just accepting who you are and looking at this wonderful journey and learning from it, but at the same time, sharing those nuggets of wisdom to, to the world. So we feel empowered to navigate our own life challenges. Thank you well, so much for sharing that beautiful aspect you of your journey. Asking. Thank you for asking such an epic question. Thank you. Now, I'm very curious to know, how do you handle low moments, AJ? What do you say to yourself to bounce back? <sighs> do you want the politically correct answer? We want the authentic, <laughs> the, the true AJ. That's what we, that's the dimension that I said I'm unveiling in the show. I think everyone has their, you know, their lows in life, right? And uh, honestly, when I have a low in my life, I look at 
I look at the people around me that tolerate me. It's really strange that, but really honestly, like the other day I posted on, on, I think this, this past Friday, I posted a post about how, you know, who was your favorite childhood superhero, right? And, and why? And uh, for me, growing up, I realized that, you know, I was a handful and the people who tolerated everything that I did, they're the real heroes. So when I have a low, I, I don't say anything to myself. I simply take a step back and I kind of just observe the people that matter to me the most. And inherently, when I see them, I start getting a high. You know, I mean, no matter how tired I am, no matter how, you know, how maybe sad I am about a particular situation or a particular set of news that I heard recently or whatever, you know, I just look around and particularly the people that are very close to me, like Ryan, like, like my daughter, Eva, you know, like, you know, everyone that kind of matters to you in your life, you, you inherently realize that the low that you're feeling is nothing compared to the low that you'd feel if you weren't able to do right by them, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're giving their all, right? In the case of my daughter, she's too young right now to understand it. But one of the most beautiful thing about kids is while there's no filters, which tends to lead to some cruelty, but there's also something beautiful about their completely uninhibited creativity and playfulness and being childlike is so important for adults. People, you know, adults need to understand the value of being childlike as opposed to childish. Being childish is a bad thing, but being childlike is really empowering. As an adult, if you can maintain that childlike curiosity, that childlike intuitivity, you would understand that it would do, it would do substantial impact for your relationships, for your innovation, for your businesses, for your ideas. So coming back to my lows, I, I just, I pause and I look at the people that I, that are really close to me, that I love. And I tell myself that honestly, AJ, you felt it for a moment. Now get over it. It's time for you to get up because there are people around you that are counting on you. You know, if you want to build a legacy, then no pain, no gain, man. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's not going to come easy. So if you thought this was easy, then maybe you're fooling yourself. I guess that's what I say to myself. I mean, you said, what do you say to myself, right? That's what I say to myself. I, I, look, at, I look at something that matters to me, particularly a person, and I tell myself, well, you've had a moment, fine, you feel sad, you're feeling low, what are you gonna do about it? Like, what are you gonna do? Are you just gonna sit here and mope or are you gonna get up and do something that's right by your daughter, right by your partner? Right, by your father, you know what I mean? And I know it sounds really corny, but that's really what I think of usually. You know, I'm going to remind my friends watching this, note this down, you know, mental note to ourselves, you know, look at people who love you and, you know, go do things for them when you face those low moments. I think that's just a wonderful philosophy that speaks so much to the emotional intelligence that you've picked up all throughout your life. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so we have a couple of live listeners. I just want to acknowledge them. We have Satya who's joining us. Hi, Satya. Welcome to the show. 
He says, very inspiring and interesting interview and amazing guest. Thank, thank you, you Satya. Thank you. thank you so much for tuning in. I'm really appreciative. Thank you. And to all our other live listeners who are watching us, we still have time for any questions for AJ. So feel free to drop them in the comment chat box, either on LinkedIn or YouTube. And if you want to just say a hello and the country that you're tuning in from, feel free to do that as well. So AJ, we have a fun rapid fire on for you. Are you ready for it? It's uh, it's 1.45 a.m. So I guess I'm as ready as I can be. <laughs> hey, come on. Totally. You as a Vision 77 entrepreneur, I'm quite sure you have a lot in store. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure I do. All right. So you tell us the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the following. Who's your role right. model? Uh, Gary V. Mm -hmm. He's a role model for a lot of us. What does happiness mean to you? Time. How do you define success? Happiness. What is one fun thing about AJ that's exclusive to our career leadership listeners? I couldn't tie my own shoelaces till I was uh, 21. Cool. So now do you wear shoes with laces? Um, I'm a big fan of slip-ons and pumps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always a solution for every problem. Absolutely. You've got to think like a Vision 77 I know. entrepreneur. So, right. So here's an interesting question. What is your native language and one word to describe AJ in his native language? Well, honestly, my native tongue and my first language is actually English. Mm -hmm. um, my parents speak a lot of different languages. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom speaks Hindi. Um, and so... Do you, have you picked up a little bit of Hindi? I have. I mean, I, I can speak it. I speak it. That's you know, pretty cool. Fluent. But the only problem is, is that, you know, it sounds like this, except in Hindi. So people make fun of it all the time. Hey, I know Hindi. Uh, I'm not going to let people make fun of you. You can feel free to share it with me. So how do you describe um, yourself in Hindi? Are we going to really do this? <laughs> Come on, uh, as an entrepreneur, right? As a venture capitalist, I mean, I'm going to put mean, you on I, the spot here. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, okay. The thing is, in my head, I'm. I have to think in in um, in in English to translate it to. I'm really good. I'm, I'm generally quite good at it. But you know, I, you just caught me off guard. So now I'm going to have to. In I'm the all self cautious. <laughs> in the middle of the night. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess. Okay. So, what's a good word for me in Hindi? Um. Oh. I guess this, this this makes sense. Um, so AJ AJ is a is a nickname. It's not my real name. AJ is a name that was given to me by my Australian clients in a company called Marcus Evans, and which was my first job out of out of university after college. And uh, you know, a lot of them couldn't actually say my real name, and then it just got shortened and shortened and shortened. Eventually, it became AJ. No, I'm and curious to know your full name, AJ. So, you gotta reveal that to us. So that's actually the, the the word as well. So my real my first real name is actually a Persian name that's connected to Hindi and Urdu as well. It's called Vajahat, right? So my real name is Vajahat, right? W-A-J-A-H-A-T, right? Now, interestingly, in Urdu, 
or in Hindi, I don't know which one, but one of them. Vajahat means male dignity. I don't know how this works, honestly. I'm, I'm not very good with language, but apparently vajahat means like um, male, male, like a masculine dignity, masculine dignity, masculine presence, like, you know. And ironically, a lot of people tell me that I have that presence. You know, when I, when I come into a room and I, or I talk to people, I engage with them, they say, yeah, you truly are vajahat. You know, like you are vajahat as per the definition of the word. Uh, I think it's Urdu. I don't know. Uh -huh. so, Your parents have named you well. They kind of knew what I, was going to happen with you. Now, here's the problem. It's not all good news. In Malaysia, J-A-H-A-T, jahat, means naughty, not in a good way. It uh, means naughty in like a bad way. Uh -huh. And then wa, wa, the, the W-A in front of it, is a colloquial way of saying Wow, I, me. Okay. So when I say Vajahat, and Vajahat to a subcontinental tongue who speaks Hindi or Urdu or Bengali, they can say Vajahat in one intonation. But when, when you speak to someone who doesn't have that intonation from the subcontinent, they usually say Wajahat. They destroy the name, right? <laughs> and when that happens in Malaysia, in the national language here, Malay, that's basically saying I'm evil, right? So while my parents named me well, they just got the location wrong <laughs> where I was born. <laughs> they got the location completely wrong because I ended up in a country that was just, yeah, it just gave more fuel. I mean, it was already bad enough. I was being bullied for everything else. My name as well. Then That's the chance. last thing. Absolutely. So. Hey, but you know, I'm so glad we've unveiled so many different dimensions of yours. See, you were skeptical when I told you I'm going to unveil a different dimension of you. You were like, "Hey, do oh, I you, have one?" There you, you go. You unveiled. You unveiled. <laughs> I'm, 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 you unveiled hard. No, seriously, it was it was wonderful. I really enjoyed this. Is thank the rapid you. fire round finished? Yes, it is. Oh, yep. thank God. Okay. You've Thanks. answered all my questions, so you can feel you know you're not in the hot seat anymore. All right. Okay. We do have another listener who is saying hello to us. Hi, Harsh Purohot. Uh, he's running from Richmond, Virginia. Hello, Hi, Harsh. Harsh. How are you? So, um, yeah, this is interesting, Vajahat. Um, and I'm going to say it once for the Asian community because we get your name really well. You know, I really love different dimensions of your life, um, AJ. You know, starting from how you embrace your inner fear, uh, you know, as a child, mm -hmm. all the way to you know, being this high achiever who at the same time is very humble and very approachable, you know, that's the best part about you. You know, we are here sitting across different, um, you know, continents, but I'm so glad you've taken the time in the middle of the night uh, from Malaysia, joining us and sharing some of your unique life lessons. What are your Thank parting you. thoughts before we wrap up the show? Well, parting thoughts are definitely about how epic Curry Up is as a podcast and uh, Thank you. how I have enjoyed a lot of your content beforehand and how I feel a lot of, a lot of not just Asian, but you know, anybody from any walk of life can truly benefit from listening in and tuning into the content we're sharing. And I promise you, I'm not just saying it because I was one of your guests. I mean, I'm saying it generally because I know that that's the sort of, that's the sort of mission that you're on Priyanka. As, as a person that you are truly out there for value creation 
and you're creating value. You're value engineering through this podcast. And I find that very fascinating. And I'd recommend all the listeners to definitely make it a point to tune in. Thank you, AJ. Thanks for your kind words. And we love to be collaborating with value creators like you, mission-driven Thank people, you. which points us back to the, uh, you know, the, the goal for the podcast, which is to spotlight purpose-driven Asian leaders making an impact. I had an absolutely fun time getting to know Likewise. you, AJ. And it was epic. Yeah, thank you. And to all our listeners, do go follow AJ on LinkedIn. He shares wonderful nuggets of wisdom from his personal life, and you'll definitely feel inspired with you know, every single dimension of his life. So thank you very much, AJ. Thank and you very much. Thank you. And one key takeaway from this episode 104 with Dr. AJ Minai, storyteller, award-winning entrepreneur on Career Leadership Podcast is value people. You know, that's the best advice that I've got. Look beyond you know, the judgments, the biases, the filters that we have and look at people. And I think that's a wonderful reminder, especially during these pandemic times where we started looking at what's the purpose of life. And I think yeah. being kind to each other is one of the greatest purposes for mankind. Absolutely. Until, mm -hmm, thank you. Until another episode that's going to happen every Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern. This is your host, Priyanka Komla, signing off from Career Leadership Podcast, a podcast to spotlight purpose-driven Asian leaders making an impact and as a quick reminder, if you're watching this on LinkedIn, give us a like and leave a comment. If you're watching this on YouTube, feel free to subscribe to us for amazing content and give us a like. And to all our wonderful podcast listeners, give us a follow and a review and a rating to help us understand how this podcast is helping you become a better version of yourself. Again, thanks, everyone, for joining us. And I hope, AJ, you have a wonderful night uh, you know, of sleep, even well. you've spent a good amount of well. time with us. And we have a final closing comment from Harsh Purohit who says, um, you know, the nuggets that you share, you know, it's very true about servant leadership. Thank you, Harsh, for that closing comment as well. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, AJ. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.